All right, welcome back to Auto Off Topic. Hey, Brad. What is Auto Off Topic, Andrew? Is it a podcast that we don't do very often anymore? Listen, we had a midsummer break, is what I'm calling it. We did. So it's it's mostly my fault because I went out of town and then I came back and had like two or three days and my kid came up to visit. And then I had like two or three days and actually you guys are coming out to visit. So it was just like I've been preparing and like just there's been stuff going on this whole time. So I just haven't had time. I haven't done anything. So in this entire break we've had, I've done barely any any project car stuff. So I hope you carry this episode, Andrew. Oh, I got a lot done. Good. Excellent. That's all I've been doing. Yeah, I've had the busiest summer of my life that hasn't involved car stuff. It's actually been kind of weird. It makes me uncomfortable, and I don't like it. I need to do some car stuff like stat. So, Well, I'll tell you this. If you want to keep up with us between episodes, we have a free Discord. We do. Just hit us up for the link, and anybody that is listening to this show is welcome to join. Early access is free. Later access will also be free. Yes. This will not be a charged uh, service. There's <laughs> also some fun events being planned on there, but you have to be on the Discord to find out yep, about them. Yep, just for Discord members only, and uh, save the date sometime in October if you're in New England area. You have to be on the Discord to find out, though. Correct. I'm just giving them a, a teaser, okay. as you will. I'm not going to promote the event. Just going to give a teaser that if they want to, they have to participate in the Discord and find out. So, if you don't know what Discord is, you're probably like most of us and older than 20, but it's okay. We'll teach you how to use it. It's a yeah. chat-based app that's pretty simple. So, it's like a universal you know, Google chat or iMessage or something. So it doesn't require Came from gaming. Yeah. Started in gaming. It's kind of grown from there. And there's actually a few other podcasts I know that have discord servers. So it's not, not uncommon. And uh, there's definitely some interesting stuff going there. A lot of stuff gets posted there. That's just fun little car stuff during the day and sometimes non-car stuff, but mostly car stuff. Yeah. Might be, uh, sometimes they throw in some, I think you should leave memes. Every now and again, there's a, there's a separate page for memes. So if you don't like memes, you don't have to see them. Right. Oh, yeah. There's all little and, things broken up. And most of the memes are car related. So Car good. spotting. Uh, yep. There's a uh, car spotting page. Scale auto project car section. page. Yeah, project car scale page. Scale auto page. Yeah, there's all kinds, of, all kinds of good stuff on there. It's fun. Uh, come join us. We have uh, non-serious fun. There's no actual talk of news or politics or disease or anything else that's going on in the world. So it's just it's just lighthearted car fun. It's a good escape. It's a good way to spend your work day. I mean your breaks at work. Yes. That is actually what I do. Yes, same. I'm like, all right, I've been in front of the computer for a couple hours here. I need to get up and walk around. I need to get in front of my smaller computer in my hand for a little bit and then we'll I'll, move on. At least I do it outside. Okay, you take in the fresh air of the streets of Boston. Yeah. <laughs> I don't go outside because it's the surface of the sun right now here. So <laughs> I just go to a different room inside. All right, cool. Um, so that being said, what? oh, so some stuff I did. Uh, I did a track day at HMS. 
Um, New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Yep. And an autocross that was on the track, which is kind of cool. Also at Angels. Yeah. Um, I added a few things to the G20, which I'll talk about in Project Updates. But the G20 did that track day. Turbo and nitrous? No. The G20 did that track day in 100-degree heat and 70% humidity and was perfectly fine. Isn't it nice how naturally aspirated cars just don't seem to care? Yeah. I mean, the car's also so low-powered, like, it's not really stressed. Right. But even if it wasn't, if it was a low-powered turbo car, if it was 70% humidity at 100 degrees, it would feel sluggish. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I threw so 93 just, octane in it just to give it a chance. Oh, it was such a hot day. You but, spoiled it. Yeah. Well, don't let it get used to that. It's going to start pinging every time you put 87 in it. <laughs> but no, it's a super fun car. Um, yeah, it's a super fun car. And I, a bunch of pictures were taken that day, and they all have some serious, like, Gran Turismo vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a picture of it, like, coming straight down a straightaway. And there's a Miata behind it and maybe a Corvette or something behind that. And it just it's just neat seeing all that mix of cars out on track. And your car with those Marette headlights, just it really has some personality. And it just looks like it's it, the car looks like it's having a good time as well as the driver, obviously. The only thing that was funny is like, so obviously it's faster cars and I was sometimes catching them in the corners, but then they just take off in the straights. But sure. then there'd be a car that was like kind of similar performance like speed and i'd catch them to the corners and then they're like trying to wave me by and i'm like okay you thank you but them. i am full yeah. i am flat like i <laughs> like can you let up a little bit yep like a miata per se yeah yeah i had a little trouble getting by a miata that had pointed me by and a e 30 e no e 46 three series yeah, I can imagine you not pulling on an E46. Having driven both your car and a Miata, they are remarkably similar power-wise. Yeah. And, and also they, your, your car feels kind of like a front-wheel drive Miata, to be to be fair. It does. Like, it's a very similar shifter feel, very similar, like, power band and engine sound similar. And it's it's got some very, very similar feel to that. Right. So the other thing, um, yeah. We get some car news. We do. Yeah. Have you seen? It's been all over the news, like the regular news, because, you know, it's like sensational. Like there's viral videos showing you how to steal Hyundais and Kias. Um, I guess in like Milwaukee, like it's a real big problem because there's some like YouTube channel that like just, which is another problem. Like why is YouTube allowed to show this? Uh, people just stealing these things and enjoy riding them. Hmm. But apparently, is it if you've got a Hyundai or Kia Hyundai? with a regular key, okay, uh, there's a certain range that does not have immobilizers. Okay, like how do, how you sold a modern car like post two thousand without an immobilizer key? I don't understand. I feel like a lot of cars don't have immobilizers. Uh, almost every car. I've ever owned post 2000 has a mobilizer key. Like at least from like 05. I don't, but so what year does this start from? Like what is the, 
Oh, I didn't figure out what year it starts from, but it goes up to at least 2021. Huh. They stole a total of 1,000 Elantras in 2021. Yeah. So it's like a it's like a 70s through 90s GM steering column. Right. Yeah, that, that people just learned how to do it without YouTube. Yeah. But th- back they're when that back when you had to read a book to learn how to steal a car. But they're that easy. Like you just huh. apparently break open the shell, the plastic, pop the ignition, the switch part from behind the ignition, and then twenty eleven. It said a lot of times people take the USB charger and jam the USB end into the switch part and turn it because it's in the car. Wait, so you, you can start. Can, you can just. You don't need a screwdriver. You just jam the uh, USB into the. Yeah, there's basically keyhole? no tools. It seems like. So not the keyhole. we have a 2011. Not the keyhole. You're breaking off the electric switch part off the back of it. Okay. Which is like any of my early cars that are non immobilizer cars. You could do, but it's not super easy. Because stuff's kind of buried, but apparently these are very easy. Huh. I have not heard this yet. I, don't, I haven't been watching the news, apparently. Because um, we have a 2011 Hyundai. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's a thing in Phoenix. Such a big metropolitan area. Well, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, there's a gang out there called the Kia Boys. And they post yep. videos of themselves stealing the cars on social media. Yep. Cool. Well, this is a good new thing to worry about. Yeah. So, guess what the fix is? Um, a club. Yeah. Good old school club. Oh, that was a joke. It's really a club? Yeah. The Milwaukee Police Department was giving out free huh. clubs to Hyundai and Kia owners. Wow. What, what, what? It's... I mean, 90s fashion is back, so it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you're a former club well, user, so are you going to get one for... I was now? a club user, yes. Listen, my father was a police officer, and... I was raised to think that everything was going to be stolen from me at every moment in time. So that's just what police officers think. I mean, you so did have I it. used a club in the past. You did have it in a GM car, though, with that steering column. So it could have easily been stolen. I did. Yeah, I did. It was never stolen, but it uh, did have that steering column for sure. Um, this is interesting. I'm, I'm actually reading about it right now, and I'm, uh, I'm a little shocked because, I again, we own one of these. And we'd rather not have it stolen. We actually just spent like four hundred bucks on it the other you day. Better go get a club. done. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go buy. Where do you even buy a club? I don't know. Do you still have your like old one on Amazon? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think so. Huh. Well, I guess we'll uh, we'll have to figure this out, or else do some kind of a kill switch or something. Yeah. Man, I'm sure um, this is interesting. Naomi's son could bring something up. I I will tell you, though, um, Hyundai and Kia, we were driving the car last weekend, and we've had a problem with the steering wheel controls recently, like the volume and the cruise control and like the reset, the trip odometer and stuff. Um, but the car has 240,000 miles on it, so it was just oh, like yeah. the buttons are probably worn out, right? right? So we were driving it up the back way to Jerome, which is... Uh, for anybody who's not familiar with the Phoenix area, it's a bunch of like switchback mountain roads. 
you know, my, my kid was in town and we were taking her on all the touristy stuff. So we went to Jerome because they have, you know, the ghost tours and the whole, it's like, oh, it's a fun ride up there. And it's a fun ride up there. But halfway up the mountain, the, the airbag light came on. I was like, huh. So now I'm like, well, all the steering wheel controls went out first and then the airbag light went on. I bet this car needs a clock spring. Yeah. I bet that's not cheap. So we started looking into it, and I could buy one fairly inexpensively, brand new from Hyundai. So I ordered one. And then uh, I guess she must have Googled it later on. And Hyundai extended the warranty on clock springs in all 11 through 15 Sonatas and Elantras. Oh, there you go. To 15 years. Oh. So we got a free clock spring in our 240,000 mile 2011 Hyundai Sonata. So I'm pretty impressed with that so when it was in the shop we had them do you know a bunch of services while it was there um just because it was there and try to get another you know hundred thousand miles out of this thing but new clock springs in there the steering wheel controls work and the airbag lights out so it definitely had uh exactly what was going on with the car so and there must have been something like really really weird going on with the clock spring because i always hated driving this car because it the steering wheel always felt weird to me uh, and now it seems to work better. Hmm. So I know that there's tension on clock springs, and actually there's a range of tension that makes it where it's good and not good. So I wonder if there was just something been wrong with this car since I've been driving it, and now I'm like, oh, it's fine. I, I mean, it's not an enthusiast car by any means, but it's a good car. She's owned it since it had 3,000 miles on it. So, but yeah, so uh, pro tip, if you have a Hyundai or a Kia and your clock spring goes out, um, it's still under warranty. And I guess they all break the same way. The first thing that goes is all the steering wheel controls and then your airbag light comes on later. So it's a, it's a common, very well-known issue. Oh, well, so. and then once you do that, get a club. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Once Hyundai spends 500 bucks fixing your car, don't let it go to a criminal for free. So that's very interesting. I'm going to need to keep an eye on that because, I mean, obviously we live off of a main road and every now and then we have some, you know, miscreants that cruise the neighborhood. Um, and I'm sure if they know they can steal a Hyundai easily, then they're going to target our Hyundai, which is in our front driveway. Right. So, and not so much worried about the car because, you know, it's a 2011 with 240,000 miles oh, on it. It's just annoying. Um, it's just annoying because then you had to buy a new car and you're not going to, you're going to get like 2,200 bucks from the insurance company probably. And then yeah. you got to try to buy a new car and you get a car payment and then you buy another Hyundai and then repeat the cycle of it's stolen again. <laughs> It's over and over again. It's a losing proposition. So that's that's interesting. Thank you for letting me know, Andrew. I honestly I did not I have not heard about this. I will let Naomi know. Um I think obviously the biggest concern here would be when she goes out and does her bike rides and stuff. She leaves the car parked somewhere or on her way back from her bike rides, she has the bike on the bike rack in the back, and if her car gets stolen with her bike on the back, she would be devastated. The bike is worth so, more than the car. A hundred percent. Like a nice road bike is like eight thousand dollars. So if her car, if her three thousand dollar car got stolen and her eight thousand dollar bike was on it, she'd be very upset because your insurance also won't cover that bicycle. You'd have to try to put a claim in through your homeowner's insurance. So I wondered that. Yeah, so be, like, if you've got that on the back of your car and somebody rear ends you, does the insurance cover it? So if you go through your insurance company, yeah, to get your car fixed, they will not cover the bicycle because it's not part of the car. Okay. If you go through the party that hits you as insurance company, 
then they are responsible to replace the bicycle. Huh. Because they damaged your property and your property included that bicycle. At that point, it becomes property damage. Just hmm. in the whole, all, anything damaged by the at-fault driver is property damage and is paid to the victim through the property damage part of the policy. So, huh. but when you have stuff on your car, that's not part of the car. So say you have a laptop in your car or right. a bunch of stuff in your car and your car gets broken into, you can't call your insurance company and be like, hey, you know, they broke right. my window and they scratched my door and they stole 10 grand worth of electronics. Your car insurance company's gonna go, well, we're gonna pay for your window and we'll pay to fix the scratch in the door, but we're not gonna pay for the contents of the car because we don't insure the contents of the car unless you have a policy that specifically states hey, there's always a computer in my car, I'd like to insure it, then the insurance company can charge you extra to insure it. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's very specific. So you can, so story time real fast. Um, one time Naomi did have a bike on the back of her car and she stopped at the grocery store on the way home and some homeless crackhead guy walked out to the back of her car and stole everything he could unbolt off the back of the car before he got caught. So he stole the bicycle seat and the handlebars and um, like the bottle racks and all, all, all the stuff that was bolted to the, to the thing, which is super annoying. But again, being like a on-road racing bike, all that stuff is super expensive. Mm-hmm. So she wound up being obviously very frustrated, went to the grocery store. They had surveillance, but they couldn't do anything. The whole thing. Um she drove in the neighborhood looking for all the homeless people, looking for her bike seats and stuff. But she eventually wound up at the time we were still in the apartment and she was able to put a claim in through our renter's insurance because it's property that's part of the rental agreement, rental uh, insurance agreement. So, and they paid for everything minus the deductible. So she did get all new seats and handlebars and all that stuff. It was just kind of a nightmare. So, and obviously the experience sucks because you feel violated because somebody came and stole your stuff. Thankfully, the bike was locked to the rack, so they couldn't get the bike off the rack. But if they'd spent a little more time, they could have removed the rack from the car if they had a, you know, obviously they had tools. If they had bigger wrenches, they could have pulled the rack off the back of the car. Hmm. And that would have been an absolute nightmare. So, but yeah, fun times. So that's your insurance lesson for episode 200 and some odd of Auto Off Topic. Wild. Hey, that 20 years of insurance experience did something for me. Yeah. Now the insurance podcast with Brad. Yeah. So anyway. Anyway. Um, Dodge killing them, killing the muscle car. Discontinuing. Quote unquote, supposedly. You know, everybody's like, well, how are we going to get people to join the army now? You know, I saw a couple of articles about that. And one yeah. of them was legitimately like, people are worried. What will what will new army recruits do with their first paycheck? <laughs> they can't buy a charger. Because <laughs> um, it's it's like a known thing that the dealerships near bases that when they get their first like, you know, check, they'll they always buy chargers and challengers and rams. It's just a very macho image thing, I guess. But strange. Hey, whatever. But they know they go, they you know they know they all well, the the dealerships know they have a guaranteed salary now for at least the next few years. They're gonna make these payments, and they yeah. get them in these loans, and it's it's kind of sad actually. <laughs> but whatever. 
your, know, your, your joke turned a corner there. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you only live once. You're in the army. Go for it. So enjoy yourself. To get back on topic, supposedly we're killing the electric, the killing the muscle car here, and changing the charger to an electric car. Yes, an EV charger. Sure. <laughs> which is, not is already proven for. Which is already proven to be hard to Google. I noticed when I was trying to find out yeah. information about this. Yes, you have to type in EV Dodge Charger, or else you don't get what you want. So, a couple of things about this. One, they made this big announcement that the Charger and the Challenger are dead after 2023. They released, I think, something like 12 or 13 special edition Chargers and Challengers are coming out in the next year, like one a month. And they all have like these super throwback schemes on them. They're out there announcing one every few weeks right now. Um, I know they showed them all in a car carrier and each one of them had a different cover on it. One of them had a cover on it that was like snakeskin print, which if you know um, Challenger history back in the early 70s, you could get a Dodge Challenger with a snakeskin vinyl roof. Oh, that's funny. So my assumption is that the Challenger is going to have a special edition with a snakeskin vinyl roof. Oh, uh, they showed another one. Yeah. They showed another one that had flowers all over the cover, which oh, yeah. again, going back in Mopar history, you could get a uh, floral vinyl top as well. Mm-hmm. So one of the rumors is that it's going to have a floral vinyl top on a new Challenger. Uh, one of them says something with the number 1,000 on the side. So obviously people are assuming we're going to get a thousand horsepower version of a challenger <laughs> as well. Um, and also on top of all of this, there were spy shots last week of a Ram T-Rex with an extra R on the end. T-Rex which R? Is, right. Which is obviously their answer to the Raptorer will be the T-Rexer. So Dodge, while they're saying they're killing the muscle car and going electric, I think is playing some funny games here, marketing wise. Well, give it so, a send off. But you know what also happens when you have electric cars? Your average fuel mileage goes up tremendously. And when yeah. your average fuel mileage goes up tremendously, you're allowed to build more cars that don't get good fuel mileage, a la a Bronco R that gets 11 miles to the gallon in 2022. They can only build that because they also build electric cars. So they're saying they're killing the muscle car and they're building all this hype for the EV charger. But I'm willing to bet that we haven't seen the last V8 muscle car Dodge. Yeah, probably not. You know, I I think there's going to be something else coming out. So because they're Dodge, they also can't leave well enough alone. And they've gone and given this new EV charger exterior sound, like yeah. fake engine sounds. Sure, why not? It's terrible. It should just be electric. It should not make fake sounds because it sounds like garbage. It sounds like a cat, first of all, like a cat screaming. It doesn't sound like a car. Oh, I haven't actually um, heard it. Oh, it makes me very grumpy. I don't like it. Because you know Charger owners, and they're all obnoxious human beings. I'm sorry if you want to charge or listen to this podcast. They all have you Halo don't. headlights and, yeah, Halo headlights and burble tunes and neons and Lamborghini doors. And I'm just speaking of the ones I see at, like, the Saturday night 
car events. Um, so you know if you give this loud exterior speaker, which they say is 120 decibels. Whoa. <laughs> right. Why Why are you giving 120 decibels of sound to an electric car? Like, I got a deal. Let's say electric car and let's make it obnoxious as possible. I don't uh, like it. I you mean, know, they're kind of, a lot of them are too quiet in a parking lot. It's kind of weird. Sure. The, but there's a limit in between too quiet and 120 decibels. And it's probably somewhere around like, 75. <laughs> whatever that noise that Tesla's make when they're in reverse is really weird. It's dumb. It's super annoying. They're all annoying. I'd rather it's just be like quiet and run people over. Ethereal sound, like, like what is happening? Yeah, they're, it's dumb. I'd rather they just be quiet and people get run over. Pay attention, I like, guys. I like the, Look at the cars moving around. I think it's the Hyundai. The Hyundai, I like the sound it makes when it goes in reverse. It's like I a, haven't noticed it's like one a yet. pleasant chime. I haven't noticed one yet. I remember way back in the day on the TV show The Office in the early 2000s, there was the, they called the Prius a silent killer. So yeah. um, this, this problem goes back. Anyway, I'm a little grumpy about the car. Not because it exists. Like, I'm totally on board with electric cars. They're fine. I don't you care. You wish Dodge is coming out with the Mitsubishi Challenger Special Edition. I don't, actually. Although, we did have a conversation at work about this car. And one of my coworkers put up a picture and said, that's not a Charger. This is a Charger. And put a picture of a 68 Charger. <laughs> and I said, well, this not, that's not a Charger. This is a Charger. And I put up a picture of an 82 Charger Shelby GLH. So... <laughs> Um, anyway, and then I was probably told to stop, <laughs> but beside the point, no, I, I, I'm not, I'm not mad about the name. I don't care about the name. Um, what makes me mad. Charger is the perfect EV like a, name. Charger is a great EV name. Absolutely. It's a, it, it's perfect. I, I don't understand why they wouldn't use it, but my issue is with the concept car process in general in 2022. Because we're dealing with lowest common denominator in like internet stories, the car gets shared 100,000 times in everywhere, a million times everywhere. And everybody's like, OMG, did you see the new charger? Like, no, nobody's seen the new charger yet. We've seen the concept version of the new charger. It's not a new charger. It's a concept car. The new car is not going to look exactly like that. If we're lucky, it'll look half like that. Maybe it will look like that, but probably not. It certainly won't have the 23-inch wheels with 25-series tires, and hopefully it won't have a 120-decibel exterior speaker for the sounds of it driving away. That sounds that seems to me louder than a current V8 charger. So I don't like that process. That being said, I put up this dumb post on Instagram today in my stories, not an actual post, it just said basically that. Where I said, everybody relax. It's not going to be like this. If we're lucky, it's going to look like a 2012 Dart. Like, it doesn't matter. So I said, this won't be built. On the off chance it is, it'll look more like a 2012 Dart than anything else. Or something equally awful. Stop pretending it'll exist just like this. So I get a random message from this dude, right? And his words say, I'm glad you know everything. Such a hater, Brad. Right. Grumpy old man. Hater. Whatever. He says, I'm glad you know everything. And I'm like, oh, okay. I did kind of come out there kind of hard on it. So maybe I'll accept this guy's message. Um, I do follow him, so it's fine. I don't know who he is. Um, 
so I was like, no, I don't, I don't know everything. I was tired of the hate around concept cars. They're just concepts. And he goes, well, concepts serve a purpose. Let's just wait and see what happens. And then I said, you know, agreed. They are a test bed for opinion and for, you know, probably some technology. And anyway, I talked about my whole point that I just kind of made. So then I decided to look at this guy's profile and see who this guy is who's talking to me. Uh, do you have any guesses of who this guy is? He's somebody that works for Chrysler. Uh, not only does he work for Chrysler, his <laughs> byline is uh, Stellantis, Dodge, and Ram, senior creative exterior designer. Oh. So the gentleman who drew <laughs> the new Charger <laughs> obviously had some opinions about my opinion. Um, and I was like, oh, snap. So before we even got further into the conversation, yes. I had already been like, listen, I like the design. I hope it comes out like that. So I was like, whoa, I didn't realize you were actually the lead designer for Stellantis. First, let me say, like I said, it does look awesome. Good job on the styling. <laughs> if it can come to production like that, I'll eat my words. And he said, ha, ah, thank you. And then we went back and forth all day with conversation with the lead designer for Stellantis. So very nice guy. But... uh what are the chances? <laughs> I had no idea. Oh, that hot take blew up in your face. I had no idea. <laughs> what, are, what are the chances that literally the head designer of Dodge and Ram follows my dumb little Instagram page? Like, I guess pretty good. I, I just, my, I was like, holy, wait a second. But it was also really cool because obviously I'm, usually a pretty even keeled individual and I'm a reasonable human being who's not an internet troll. So I have this opinion, but then we had a conversation about it afterwards and him being the head designer for a company like Dodge and Ram um, also is a normal human being. And we just had a great conversation about car styling and the history of concept cars and Harley Earl, both of our same, both of our childhood heroes. And it was, it was really cool. <laughs> I mean, I would have told them it was that a fun Chrysler, conversation. Chrysler design peaked at the Prowler, but probably did. <laughs> but and that's one of the things we talked. I talked about was like, hey, maybe you know, if, if anybody is going to make something that looks just like a concept car, it's going to be Dodge, a la Viper and Prowler. So, but anyway, yeah, I was like, oh crap! <laughs> this guy literally drew the damn car. <laughs> so. Anyway, I thought it was funny. What's the, so? What's so, the Banshee thing? Is that another? Is that a special edition for the Challenger? I I think it's like the Hellcat. Okay. Yeah, it's gonna be. They're saying like eight hundred and something horsepower cool. EV. Yeah. The other thing Mopar came out with today, which is cracking me up. Oh, it came out yesterday, I think. Whatever day it was, two days ago, is the Dodge Hornet. Okay. So that's. A little SUV thing. It's based on the Alpha Tola something. Tolmos, Tolmas, Tol Tolomas. Oh, great! It's based on some little Alpha thing. So it's a little and Italian. It's a, and it'll be terrible. It's a hybrid electric, half Fiat, half Alpha, half. Oh, throw it in the trash. Third Alpha, third Fiat, third Chrysler. Yeah. Oh. Um, but what's cracking me up is I have engaged in conversation a few times on a couple people's pages where somebody says, "Great, there goes another." another sedan being replaced with an SUV and the 
same similar comment in three different places. I'm like, oh, what sedan are they replacing? Oh, the Hornet. Okay. First of all, it's not replacing a Hornet. The Hornet's been dead since 1977. Also, Dodge didn't even make the Hornet. And two of the three people had no idea what I was talking about. One guy knew that it was Nancy. But they're all just assuming that the Hornet was a Dodge from the 70s. And it's clearly not. So stop trying to have opinions about things that you have absolutely nothing about. That's my other rant for the day. So. And I guarantee none of them would look at a Hornet and be like, oh man, I'm so sad that's an SUV now. The Hornet wasn't exactly remembered for its styling, that's for sure. As most late 70s AMCs weren't. I mean... I don't know. AMC kind of feels like, can we get a Dodge? No, we have Dodge at home, and it's actually an AMC. Right. I <laughs> I, I love AMC up through the end of AMC times um, because they're always just a little bit different, a little bit off. There is a version of the Hornet called the SC360, and it came out in 69 or 70, 71. Um and it's actually really cool because it's like a mini, it's like a Dodge Dart size with a 360 in it. Yeah, so AMC cool. is like Bizarro World Chrysler. Yeah, and it makes sense that when they were bought up, they were bought by Mopar. Yeah. So, yeah, it's whatever. I know, I haven't bought... I just, I just think it's funny. I haven't bought a part for my talent at a store in a long time. I wonder if it's still under AMC Eagle. I always thought it wasn't. I always thought it was under Chrysler Eagle because AMC Eagle was the <clears throat> 4x4 oh, car. Oh, no. No. I don't remember. I remember back in the day when you'd look something up, they, they'd go under it and be like AMC, then like Eagle. Hmm. That seems like a cataloging error. Yep. Because AMC Eagles were dead in like 86 or 87. Because officially, AMC, I think the first... Dodge products that were AMC products were 87. Was it? Um, the Jeep was... So the Cherokee was an AMC design. Uh, and the Wrangler was an AMC design. But they sold Cherokees at AMC dealers before Chrysler bought them. But the Wrangler came out as a Dodge uh, Chrysler product Jeep in 87. And it was Whoa. weird because you went to a you went to a Chrysler dealer in '87 to buy a Jeep, and it had a witch's brew of parts from other manufacturers that you wouldn't think you'd have to go to a Chrysler dealer to deal with. Like I, they had, I think it was like the climate controls from a Ford, and the steering column was from a GM. Yeah, it was that GM steering e- column. Yeah, the ECU Get a was club a Chrysler product. <laughs> yeah. The ECU was a Chrysler product. The motor was still the AMC four liter. It was, it was a it was a mishmash of parts that worked most of the time. Um, it was still just not. You're buying this thing from Chrysler. It's got Ford and GM parts in it. So what's happening right now? Um, but the the Cherokee was sold through AMC dealers before Jeep officially took over, or Chrysler took over, I should say. So that's why those were available with weird engine options at different points. I think there was like a uh, the PRV V6 was available in it. 
There was at one point maybe a GM diesel that was available in them. It was just a weird <laughs> combo of things. So, yeah, interest, interesting, interesting times. Because if you remember, in the end of AMC's days, they were selling Renaults as well, and they had the AMC Premier, which became an Eagle Premier. There's just so much going on. I can't even keep it all straight in my head right now. I, I know all of it, but I got to sit down and remember exactly what happened when the Premier was the big car and the Alerno Alliance was the small car. And uh, yeah. Anyway, we think Chrysler and Mitsubishi had some weird stuff going on. Look at Renault and AMC at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm not upset about the new charger. I don't care. I'm just mad that the whole entire world is like, oh my God, this is the new charger when it's not. It used to be you'd go to an auto show, and the auto show would show you all these crazy concept cars. You know, you go back to the 60s, and they'd be like, you know, the Firebird concepts. It was literally a jet with wheels on it. Nobody was like, oh, my God, the Firebird is going to look like that. Like, no, they all knew that it was clearly a concept car. You know, even when we were kids, and cars like the Mustang, what was that thing called? The oh, I don't remember what it's called now. It was the concept car before the 94 Mustangs came out. Oh, yeah. What was the name? Didn't it have, like, a animal name? I don't remember. It was Mustang something. Or am I thinking of the uh, Corvette, like, they have a 90s Mako or something? I or think there was, a, there was a Mako something. Well, there was a Mako shark in the 60s. I think it was yeah, definitely. in the 90s. And then there was, like, the Pontiac Banshee, which was clearly a concept car. You never had any thought that this was going to be a real production car. So when these concept cars come out and you know they're not going to be a production car exactly like that it's like just relax this isn't going to be the car you're going to see like you need to understand <laughs> but uh the auto shows today aren't that auto shows today are just like a dealership like you walk in and you see cars that are currently available or will be available in the next month or two there's not that excitement of these ridiculous designs that will never see the light of day so i don't know the internet has ruined everything i guess right Get off this podcast. No more internet. Sure. Yeah. Half kidding, half serious. All right. Enough of that. I got a bunch of project car updates. Okay. Let's get, let's get, let's get, let's get through this, get, Andrew. Get down to brass tacks here. Um, all right. G20. The new old header. Yep. I, I think I talked about it. It was making noise. I thought it was a flex pipe. It was cracked. Yep. It's cracked. Yeah, it's the last we thought. I can't tell where it's cracked. It's in one of the primaries. Like, I can't even see it, so I'm not even sure if I could even weld it. Okay. Kind of annoying. <clears throat> so what happened was I... Uh, well, first, let me let's go backwards a little bit. I No, I'm saying this in the right way. Uh, so I bit the bullet, and I ordered a, a Fuji Subu, Fujitsubu stainless three-piece header from Japan. Okay. Uh, way, Overnight. way better. Not quite overnight, three or four days. Um, shipping from Japan blows my mind. The, the overnight shipping from Japan thing is a joke, but man, it almost is overnight. Oh, DHL is. It takes me less time to get stuff from Japan than it does from Boston. DHL is really good with yeah. shipping from Japan. Um, so my dad helped me with it. I we had a way easier time getting this one in. I didn't have to wrestle with it, and uh, he just because to, it's designed uh, for the car. Yeah, big difference. And um, it's three pieces too. So you've got the manifold right. header, 
the it's a four two one so the two prime so it's, you have the four primaries they go into two primaries that's under the engine and then a, a pipe at the back which is the single and the two the two wouldn't be primaries it'd be like a collector they're secondaries yeah or secondaries. Did I say primaries I the, I I said you said secondaries. two four primaries the two primaries so oh. I meant to say secondaries yeah I, th I think the word in header speak is collector secondaries is it yeah, the collector yeah. is where the pipes merge. Right, so it merges from four to oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not looking at it in front of me, so I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a beautiful piece, like the way it's made. It's all three or four stainless TIG welded. Um, they basically hand make them in Japan, in the shadow of Mount Fuji. Right. Hitori like, Hanzo steel. Yeah, like no joke though. They use they use <laughs> Japanese steel. Like there's a there's a really good speedhunters article on going to the factory. They purposely do not use like Chinese steel. It's it's Japanese steel. Interesting. Um and they also do a lot of design for factory exhausts. So I guess like on a lot of cars it's hard to get gains out of the exhaust because it's already been designed by this company Fujisobo yeah um so yeah it definitely it doesn't have a leak anymore it sounds so much better without like an exhaust leak it's like very tuned most things do um but anyway so while I, while I was waiting for that header to come in uh and actually before I ordered it I I used a website called right hand drive Japan uh and they specialize in selling Japanese tuning parts outside of Japan Hmm. Uh, and to try them out, I had purchased some Cusco upper arms uh, for the front. Uh, and they're basically negative camera arms. So they're slightly shorter than the factory arms. And they have solid, like, bushings in them. Okay. And because uh, the car really needed some negative camera. I noticed after looking at the pictures from the Thompson track day, I could see that, like, it wasn't really, front tires weren't really, they're kind of, going into positive around kind the of pigeon toed a little bit so uh, those came in like three days and they were cheaper than buying them from sellers on buy -E. huh they're real Cusco parts interesting so I went through them again and got the header and the header took like four or five days and still cheaper than buy -E parts couldn't really get the header on buy -E, or it wasn't clear. Okay. like the that's the other thing, like the descriptions and the and the translations are better on right hand drive Japan because they actually have like, it's very similar in the way that Megazip and Emiyama work, where when you order something, you get put into like a help desk queue, and like a person who obviously speaks English like message you messages you about like okay, we have your order, and then like all right your order is going out for shipment like they actually like tell you what's going on or like if there's a problem they'll send you a message it's kind of interesting like the oh, that's cool. service that's a good really that's good. a good that's a good source to have i mean i don't think i have any cars i can buy anything from japan for right now but yeah <clears throat> and he's too old if i do <laughs> so i had the car lined up and i also had uh some brand new falcon azinus rt615 pluses mounted so it's the okay. same as that original 615 pattern, but I guess a new, slightly newer compound. And uh, they have that yeah. like zigzag channel through them. Yeah, cool. But uh, really, like much improved in the track day. 
that was the other thing. I chunked one of the Yokohamas, the sidewall, not the sidewall, but the very edge of the tre- tread during the last track day. So it was basically junk. Um, and those really weren't, I've talked about it before, those are really good for the street. You just want a good street tire. It's 300 tread wear. Yeah, they're pretty long wearing and they're quiet and they're pretty compliant in the road. And they're pretty sticky for what they are. But multiple laps in a 20-minute session, they're not Too much good. They would scream on the track. Like, like you can hear the early videos I have. Uh, the Zenuses don't make us hardly make a noise. Like, and so much more grip. So, um, yeah, that was really cool. And then I also fixed the ABS light. And there was much rejoicing. Yeah. I. So I replaced all of the rear control arms and all the bolts. And I took the knuckle off that had the offending ABS sensor in it. It was a little bit of a bear to get out, but I got it out. And I found, I think I talked about this, I found an ABS sensor for the car that did not cost $400. It was only $75. It came from eBay in the UK. And it didn't have the right part number, but it was for a Premier 1.6 in Japan, in England. Which is the same car. Yeah, I really couldn't understand why it wouldn't not why it wouldn't work. Um, and I figured because it looked exactly the same in the picture, it had the right connector on it, everything. And I figured, well, I got to go through the same amount of effort to get the old one out. But once the old one's out and the new one is in, if this one doesn't work, it shouldn't be that hard to get out because it should come right out because it's only going to be in there for a couple days. So and that's not that was what I went. The car with. doesn't get driven in winter anyway. Exactly. But if it didn't work, I would just buy the more expensive one and put it in. But it turns out it worked. So the light has not come back on. Um, Excellent. And interestingly, it seems like the rear brakes actually do more work now. Like before, they weren't really engaging. And I originally <laughs> thought that it was because of that brake line was like closed off, which that was part of it because they would kind of work on a track day. But I noticed driving around the street, they wouldn't really knock the rust off the rotor, but now they do. It's weird. It's almost like because ABS wasn't working, it like shut the valve off to the rear or something. Yeah, it's strange. Or maybe it was giving less pressure because there was no ABS, so it didn't want to lock up. Yeah. It's strange. But it, they seem to like not have rust on them after I drive. Because I could literally drive it around, like do errands around town. And the rear rotors would still have a very thin coating of rust on them. Interesting. And now they don't. Um, interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because also on track, like if you do happen to lift like a rear wheel or something, it does engage a little bit, but it's not that intrusive. I'd, I'd rather have it than not have it. Yeah, having the car working properly is better than not having the car working at all. So. And it's also nice that the light is not on all the time. Yep. I was worried that eventually the light was just going to burn out, but... Problem solved. Problem solved. And yeah. <laughs> all the rear arms are new. All the alignment bolts are new. And I think the car actually started... I know. I, th- I think the car rides a little better. It felt kind of bouncy in the back. And I think it was because the rear bolts, where they go to the knuckle, were seized on one side. Okay. Like it wasn't even able to like flex on the bushing 
joint or at the knuckle because the bolt was just seized. So like you, you were even with the weight of the car on it. Yeah, like the metal was seized, so it was probably just flexing whatever give the bushing had. Right. When actually it should flex, like it should almost like turn a little bit as you go up and down. Interesting. Yeah. So much improvements were made. Yeah. Um, yeah, the car's pretty darn good now. Awesome. And then I don't think I talked about building the Montero bumper yet. Uh, you have not talked about it on podcast. Those who follow the Discord page know all about it. I've seen pictures. Yeah, so I had the kit for almost a year now. You brought it out for me. I got it from Josh at ADD. I feel like it was um, more than a year. It was last September I thought you came out. When I drove out there? Yeah. Mm. I think it was before then. But anyway, unimportant. Well, yeah, so I've had it for about a year. Um, finally got around to it. It's nice, thick steel. I had a good time welding it once I figured out how it went together. I FaceTime with Josh, told me how to put it together. Uh, once I got the middle parts done and the outer edges, I added a couple little gussets on the inside that were extra. I added the stinger kit with those gussets. Um, once I started to get dialed in with the welding, like a lot of my welds look pretty nice. I do say so myself. Yeah, no, I was I was truly impressed. And uh, I coated it with Duraback, that sort of bedliner stuff, which took quite a while, like, like a couple days to cure, and because it, it's like textured, like rubberized. And it so just to interrupt your story real fast. I yeah. did bring it out there in September. Yes, but it was September of 2020. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just found the picture of the car loaded up, ready to leave. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, two years. Ago. Yeah, so you've had it for almost two years. <laughs> well, yeah. So, anyways, I coated the bumper with that Duraback. It's like a gray coating, and then I masked off the truck and cleaned it up. And did the whole bottom half that was silver with the same stuff. And okay. then the, the back bumper and the driver's corner was pushed in. So I I adjusted it out and then was able to push the plastic part of the bumper out with some heat and a little force. It looks decent. It's not smashed into the side of the truck anymore. And I did those end caps of the bumper and the dirt back too. And so it's all the same I, kind of color now. Yeah, I posted those pictures. It looks really good. I, I expect it to be a little more silver, but it looks pretty darn good. Yeah, I, I'd like to see it in person. It looks good in pictures. Um, I was expecting it to be a little darker, um, yeah. but I don't hate I, I definitely don't hate it. No, And the good it, thing is you could do it again if you wanted to. You can paint over the Duraback, too, so it's not, uh, yeah, it didn't, not the end of the world if you do change your mind. Well, it didn't look great under the fluorescence in my dad's garage but then out in the sun it looks pretty good i think oh i, I i'm not saying it's bad i don't hate it i just I like to see it in person um because it's, it's hard to tell in pictures sometimes but i think it's it. it's bedliner but it's not black so it doesn't look like a rot box right yeah because as anybody from the rust belt knows if you bedliner the bottom of your car black it means you're hiding rust yeah so and I took it looks it, better than rust, but you're hiding rust. I took it all the way under. I covered all the rockers up to the pinch welds. Nice. So it's even. 
Yeah, and then it's um, plus two. You could see where, because the truck doesn't have factory mud guards anymore, where the stuff was, paint was getting worn away uh, behind the tires. So it covered up right. that with this stuff. So it's excellent. I, th- I think it looks cool. It's definitely it uh, sets it apart as definitely yours. Also, usually when you see those like you know sheet metal style front bumpers, they're always black and kind of like meh, and they they fade out because they're just black crappy paint and uh, yours looks much better than that i've seen other people do these in silver i definitely knew i wanted to do it at least in the color that matched the two-tone on the truck yep um and then i added the ipf lights so those look really good yeah i'm genuinely digging it it's a good looking truck it's making me upset that i don't have a truck (laughs) i actually just finished wiring those up the other night because they didn't have the right eyelets to go over the battery terminal so I had to change the eyelets out but they look really good, well, good. So, so those big the big orange ones are fogs and then I was hoping to have enough room to put all the four under the stinger but they didn't fit so I mounted the two driving lights on the front face of the bumper mm-hmm. just kind of silly because it's in front of the bumper but Whatever you're not intending to hit anything with it, so yeah, I'll I'll take the risk because they do look really cool. <laughs> yeah, and they're not the super rare ones, right? No, I mean they're they're new. You could buy them new. They're not yeah, they're not some weird obscure part, right? So they look good. Um, yeah, and then I maybe I talked about it after the rally episode we had. But the radiator came in for the Gallant from Australia. The okay. One. Gorgeous. Another gorgeous part. Like, just made so much nicer than anything else. Because the only thing available for that car was, like, Chinese aluminum radiators. They just didn't. They just don't even look anything close to how nice this one is. Right. You know, this is equal to... the hand-built part. No, this this is equal to, like, the, the header that came out of Japan. Like, in the quality of how nice it is. Yeah, like I'm saying, it's, it's another hand-built part. So... Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's going in probably when we get back from vacation. But, Killer. Mm-hmm. If you're not tired of working on cars and you're out here working on my cars. No, I got to get it done. I want to get it what? done because it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got some, we'll try to figure out some stuff in your cars. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not uh, expecting you to come in here and work on my cars, but I think it'd be fun to work on cars together a little bit while you're here. Um, well, we got to do stuff at night, so. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think one of the things I'd love to have you help me out on is the uh, electrical diagnostic on the 81 Cressida. Okay. So, because that's something that I'm, uh, you are, you are far superior with auto electrics than I am. And I uh, can admit to a point that I'm a little lost on that, on that particular car. I get a little lost when it comes to the multimeters and stuff. I'm, I'm learning. I'm getting better. Um, I do have a small project car update. Um, the Eclipse, which is still broken uh, through fault of mine because I haven't been working on it just because of how busy my life has been the past month. But I finally had some time last night to actually get out there with the multimeter and trace wires. And so first I had gone, thought it was the ECU or the igniter based on the symptoms. I replaced the igniter because it was like $10. Didn't fix it. Pulled out the ECU. The capacitors leaked all over the place. It was a disaster. 
So I was like, oh, clearly that's the problem. So I waited for an ECU to get shipped out. Thanks to Jeremy for shipping that out to me to try it out. Put a new ECU in the car. The car still didn't start. Now I was real frustrated because that ECU was so bad, I figured it had to be it, right? So went back into the car again last night, finally, after a long time. Because the problem is I'd have like a couple hours to work on it, and the car would sit for a week. And a couple hours to work on it. So last night I had some time. And I took out the multimeter and I took out the test light. Um, and I started at the coil and I tested the coil uh, with the multimeter to make sure all of the, you know, the ranges were in, in spec and everything was good. And it was. And then I went back to the coil um, connector on the engine harness side and there's three pins on it. And just like most standard, you know, coil pack cars. The four cylinder, there's three pins. One's a constant power and there's two switching power to to fire the coil, right? From the signal from the cam sensor. So you should have constant power at one of the three. And then the other two should flash as you crank the car over because the cam sensor is spinning. Uh, Put the ignition key on and had no power to any of them. So there's no power getting to the coil. So the coil is probably fine, but it's not being powered up. So trace that wire back and it goes to the cam sensor. Now, the cam sensor is the last link in the chain of things to make spark that I haven't touched or played with yet. Um, Pulled the connector off, made sure everything looked good in there. Because one thing that does happen on these cars is they get moisture inside and they get corroded. Uh, This car does not have that. It was beautiful, like brand new inside. So it's not an issue of corrosion in the connector. Uh, There is a method for testing it, but it requires taking it apart and like building a jig. So I have not done that yet. Um, thankfully, former guest and friend of the show, Josh, his former boss is a Gallant VR4 rally driver and has like an entire shipping crate full of cam sensors for 4G63s. So he's going to let me grab a couple of them to make sure I get a good one and uh, try that in the car and see if that fixes the car. So, yeah. And then the problem is once you take it off, you set the timing. Yeah, it's not fun. But you try to you can try to mark just try to mark with a marker where the original one comes off and try to get the new one close to that. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I'll I'll be doing that. And actually you'll be here while I'm doing that and you're experienced with this. So you can uh, maybe give me a hand with that too. That shouldn't take too long. So unfortunately, um Keith is on vacation until Saturday, which means I can't get the part till Saturday, but it's only two days away, so I'll be patient. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I'm I'm antsy to get the car back on the road because it's it's my daily driver. Um, I'm misdriving it, <laughs> so I uh, would like to get it back running again instead of using other cars and borrowing the potentially stolen all the time Hyundai. Thankfully, I work in a good neighborhood. Jeez, now I know that. Oh. Why don't you steal it? I don't have to steal it. I have keys. <laughs> I do steal it three days a week. She works from home, so I take the Hyundai to work when the Eclipse is broken. So anyway, and then after that's done, uh, I got to sit down and and figure out an actual plan for cars because there's, I was doing very well, but I'm at a point now where there's too many of them around. So (laughs) it is what it is. I, I was trying really hard. And you know what happened, honestly, Andrew, is I bought that, I got rid of the Volkswagen and unfortunately the untimely death of the Saab. 
Uh, and I bought that Honda Civic because it was a good running car and it was just a simple commuter. And then the Civic died. I was like, all right, I'll just try to fix that. And I spent some time fixing that. And then the Eclipse died. And then the Civic's dead and the Eclipse is dead. It's like, well, now, now I feel like a dummy because now I have <laughs> dead Eclipse, a dead Civic, a dead Cressida, um, and a dead Toyota pickup truck. So it just, it, it snowballed in like a one month time of having you know, one or two projects to having a yard full of projects again, which I guess is something that can be expected. Don't buy it. But there was a plan with it. Like the reason was to buy it so that I wasn't going to be piling miles in the eclipse because at the time I was doing 64 miles a day commuting in the eclipse. And I, I don't love commuting in my cars that are, you know, my fun cars. Because inevitably they become less fun if you drive it every day, right? Right. It becomes less special. So the Civic was supposed to just be this cheap little car I could drive. And unfortunately, that didn't happen. But I need to figure out a plan. And uh, I'll probably wind up maybe getting rid of the Civic and maybe getting rid of the Eclipse and just buying something that's fun but more normal. We'll see what happens. Or maybe now that the eclipse is fixed, I'll just start driving it again because my commute has changed because my office moved from 32 to 34 miles each way to 15 miles each way. So same job, new office, way closer. Yep. So maybe I'll just continue to drive the eclipse. Who knows? So speaking of that, any auction results you want to talk about or... Yeah, one one fun one. Um, we were all involved in this. So our lifelong friend, Joe, built that 65 Mustang. Um, and, you know, we'll give Joe a little crap here. Like we told Joe from day one, he'd probably sell it the moment he finished it. And he's like, no, no, no. But that's what happened. Um, had a great result today. It was a lot of fun. And I think the cool thing about this is that, like, you know, you and Joe and I kind of grew up, you know, later teen years, having similar interesting cars and playing with car stuff all the time and, you know, collecting model cars and you and our RC cars. And then we all started building real cars. And it was kind of neat because you all got to collaborate on selling this car. You know, you were able to take a bunch of pictures of the car. Uh, I was able to help write the auction listing for the car. Um, and get the car listed on autohunter.com, the company that I work for. And uh, we get we got him a good result. Um, he's very happy with the number that's sold for. Uh, car sold for $38,000. Um, I mean, I think it's probably about what he's into it for, so it's okay. But he, he, he didn't become rich on it, that's for sure. But it's a good number for a car that was built very well. There's a lot of cool parts. I don't know if we talked much about that car on the show. Probably not. So it's no, a 289. Yeah, 289 car that he bought with a 289 three speed. Had all brand new stock suspension. Uh, it needed a little love around the edges. It was a little, little rough here and there. Some weird color interior parts. Um, and he made it like a kind of a late 60s club racer vibe to it. You know, he didn't go crazy with the body and paint. He just did flat black hood and the flat black rear panel. Um, or semi-gloss, but he did all tubular control arms, a brand new Tremec, 
uh, world-class TKO five-speed, brand new Moser rear end with an Eaton true track, uh, brand new American racing wheels, Willwood brakes all around. Um, I forget what company suspension kit it is, but it comprises of like Fox shocks and all new springs and uh, Kirky seats and a Momo prototypo wheel. And it was, it was, just, it's a really cool build. Uh, if you get a chance and you're curious, you can go to autohunter.com and look at just search 1965 Mustang and the sold results and it'll come up. Um, it's a cool looking car and Andrew took a bunch of cool pictures of it, made it look real good. And Joey took a bunch of videos of it, which helped a lot because we were able to actually promote the car heavily through our um, uh, TikTok and YouTube and Instagram channels at work, which I think helped a lot because the car had 8,700 views or something by the end of the auction or this morning wow. when I checked it. And the next closest car had like 5,000 views. So the car definitely brought eyes to it. And there were five unique bidders bidding on the car today. Four of them still in at $30,000 and two of them that carried it from like 35 to 38. So it was definitely a hotly contested auction and uh, the car is staying fairly local. So that's cool. Um, guy that bought it lives in Southern Vermont. So you might wind up seeing it somewhere. So cool. I'm stoked on it. Yeah. Um, it worked out. It worked out well. Sometimes when you help friends, it's a little hard, but in this particular case, I think everything worked out well and uh, everybody's happy. So I dig it. So congratulations to Joe on selling his Mustang. Yeah. I put the pictures are on my uh, Instagram of it. You know, the pictures in your Instagram were good. But the ones you did after that location in front of the building were better. I think they present the car better. (laughs) I, you know, it's funny. He really wanted that building. I wasn't really that into it, but I, I did it because he asked and I I guess, all right, I guess they worked. Yeah. I I think they presented the car better. Probably because there was less. Oh, uh, him and I both agreed on the ones in front of the building. (laughs) Weird. I don't know. Yeah. Strange. Whatever. Hey, personal taste, right? Yeah, but I'm I'm pretty stoked on it. So cool. And then uh, there is for events coming up September 25th at Lynch Park. There's a car show here, local. Uh, benefits PVD benefits PVD. Sorry, benefits the Beverly Police. Fifteen bucks a car. Spectators are free, and uh, my dad's doing the music for it. Excellent. I will not be there for that one. Guarantee you that. No, um, there's actually in that, that afternoon, the Ardrain is doing a young timer show from like three to 8 PM on a Sunday, which is kind of weird time to do a show, but yeah, it's a weird show time. I am going to go check that out too. Cause I haven't been to the Ardrain yet. Yeah. It seems like a pretty cool place. Their cars and coffee they had like the other weekend looked pretty good, but I wasn't around. So yeah, it looks like a pretty cool place. Oh, I did so. go to. I hadn't been all year. It was the Andover Cars and Coffee that's here. Okay. Um, it was super hot that day, but uh, that's that's a good Cars and Coffee, good mix of cars. And uh, we took... Uh, Marco's real into Data Truck, which is a Montero. Like, right. You thought when... like He'd been talking about it all week, and then we were actually getting ready to go 
riding the truck like you thought I was taking to like Disney World or something. <laughs> so amped. Well, you've made him a car guy, so yeah. oh, intentional ri- just happened. You got to ride my mom's Beetle the other weekend because we we went to a car show in Salem. Yeah, I saw the picture of him in the back seat, the top down. He was not stoked on that when they first put him in the car, and then oh, really? They just started well, like, all right, we're just gonna go because it's only down the street from my parents' house. And once yep. they, once they were moving, he was cool with it. But that's awesome. That's and super then, cool. He gets to experience that as a kid. Like that's what made our youth, you know, car stuff. So and I drove the. Yeah, I drove his Buick down. I drove the Pontiac, his '65 Catalina. Yep. That was quite a trip because the day before I was autocrossing in the G20 and then driving the right <laughs> this giant boat of a car. Yeah, they're pretty big. Very big. So like, um, you have to remember that, like steering it, that it is. It's like as long as your old pickup truck. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not a small vehicle. Uh, events coming up out here. I like to promote this one because it's run by some friends. Um, the Route 66 JDM Classic. Oh yeah, which is in Williams is is happening again this year. Our pre-registration is open. It's forty five dollars, but it benefits a good cause. Um, the show is October first, Saturday. There is pre-event stuff Friday night, so if you get a chance to get there Friday night, it's well worth it. Uh, I usually go, I have a hotel room for both nights, so I'll be there Friday through Sunday um, just to kind of relax and so that's enjoy, the, enjoy the event. JCCS. Negative. JCCS 2022 is early this year, I think. Oh. Let me double check. It's car week this week. Another another year, another car week I haven't gone to. Yes, I'm a little mad about that this year, but it is what it is. Uh, JCCS this year is actually September 10th. Oh, wow. That's so, like a yeah. month early. It is very early. Uh, I will not be attending the show with a car this year. It is up in the air as if I'm going to be there or not. Um I'd like to go because I do like to at least spectate the event. Um, I just I don't have a car ready to go. The Cressida would be ready to go, but it does not have air conditioning, and it's a long drive through the desert in the middle of early September. It's hot still. Without air conditioning. Um, call me a wimp. Uh, it's just, it's literally, you drive through like Death Valley to get to California from here pretty much. Like, it's just, it's rough. It's not actually Death Valley, but it's it's the desert. And it's very hot. Um, so yeah, I'm not taking I'm not taking a car out there. Um, I'm gonna scramble to have a car ready for next year to bring that's different than the Crescent Auto Sapporo because they've both been there in the past. So hopefully, either the Blue Colt or the 81 Crescent will be able to go next year. So we'll see. The only thing that really bums me out about Car Week this year is that there is a Japanese specific. Sort of exhibit the J A A I or whatever they're calling yeah. it. Yeah, uh, yeah. They've done that. This is the second time they've done that, so I don't think it'll be the last. So what's bumming me out about Car Week this year is that I have coworkers who are there, um, and I'm not, and they're there on the company, and I should be there on the company, and I'm not. But that's beside the point. That's an offline discussion. The um... <laughs> yeah, I get a little cranky about Japanese car shows because you and I have both been into Japanese cars for so long 
yeah. that <laughs> like like the old guys that were into into punk before it was cool like type of thing. Right. <laughs> well, JCCS has been around for a long time. It has. Uh it does pre it does not predate our interest in old Japanese cars, but it has this the seventeenth year of the show. Right. Um, which is pretty good. It's it's one of the originals and the and the gentleman who started this uh is an an old school enthusiast from before it was cool. Um, I think what makes me most mad about it and also not most mad about it is that the cars are so expensive now. Like people are considering the, you know, GTRs and blue chip collectibles. Like they're six figure uh, cars. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's hard. Toyota 2000 GTs have never been cheap, but they're million dollar cars now. Like FDR X7s are 50 to $60,000. Like it just, it's FCR X7 coupes. You know, a nice turbo FC coupe used to be five thousand bucks, and now they're thirty thousand bucks. So there's uh, there's good and bad that comes with that. It's bad because we can't just go out and buy a bunch of them anymore. Um, it's good because theoretically that means more gets saved, I guess. Yeah, but I don't know. I just kind of miss it when it was just like, "Ew, why are you driving a Japanese car, you weirdo?" Right. That was a little more our own thing. Yeah, yeah. there but, was no respect for a very long time. No, but at the same time, I also do enjoy having events to go to and having other people who are into it. And yeah, you know, I've I've actually, if it wasn't for old Japanese cars out here, I would have had a harder time meeting people. And I've made a lot of friends through the community out here when I moved here. So, and then again, we drive the. I always like to joke the Rodney Dangerfield of Japanese cars, which is Mitsubishi's. Yeah, I've they I've turned no the respect. corner to being a, a Toyota guy now. I don't know if you don't notice this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, you drive a, no, you drive a uh, Porsche? No, I currently own a Porsche. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I've i always said that, you know, 15, 20 years ago when we were earlier on into our habit and hobby here, if we had just not picked Mitsubishi and picked any other brand, because all the cars cost the same then, whether it was a Datsun <laughs> yeah. or a Toyota or a Mitsubishi, they were all cheap. Uh, and then somehow Toyotas and Datsuns became worth a million dollars and Mitsubishis are still the same value they were in 1999. So yeah. it is what it is. I mean, they've, they've gotten a little bit more respect, even the Mitsubishi stuff has. And, you know, stuff like chrome bumper cars like my Colts have definitely appreciated. Uh, again, not to the level of the equivalent Toyota, but they've definitely appreciated uh, you know, I think I paid twelve hundred dollars for the blue Colt and two hundred and seventy-five dollars for the yellow Colt. So I wouldn't sell either of them for that money now. Yeah. So <laughs> I am also bummed. I really wanted to go to the, the this Grid Life Legends thing at Lime Rock Park this weekend. Yep. But uh, unfortunately, you out me. well, it was annoying because earlier in the summer, Marco's Daycare definitely told us that they were closed the last week of august so we were planning on that and then like we get into june and they're like it's these are the dates and we're like what those are definitely not the dates you gave us before like i had to go in and like change my vacation request and like because they they were doing a shutdown so i was like so i would have been here had they stuck with their original week um but you wouldn't have been here for the Pavs Saturday night 
all Japanese show, which is happening this weekend. Oh, okay. Well, that sounds fun. So it's the uh, hope. Well, here's the problem. <laughs> it's raining this weekend yeah. and it's car week. Here. So a lot of people are not in town. But this, I have never been. This is the fourth or third or fourth. What well, has happened? It's a once monthly uh, third Saturday of the month. The Pavilion Show has a special section roped off specifically for vintage Japanese cars. Cool. So that is this weekend, and so is Shakedown Saturday at four till four, which is my favorite weekend at four till four. Yeah. So you'll at least get those events and see yeah. different cars there. Well, our listener. Uh, Steve is going to grid life here. So he's going to tell us all about it in the discord. He can report uh, back. Uh, Cause they're doing full course drifting at Lime Rock. They're doing like grid life, like time attack. Um, Super cool. Yep. A bunch of old race cars. So it'll be similar to when we saw grid life at Atlanta. I think, I think a little more prestigious. Okay. A little less dirt baggy. Okay. Uh, there's some because like fancy, <laughs> yeah. There's some like fancy invitational like car show of like Japanese stuff through like Prime huh. New York City or something. I sent you the link, the Instagram link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah. I wish I wish you were there to see those cars. I know you say that they're like super nice, but I bet they're as nice. They bet they're similar to ours in person. Maybe everything looks better in pictures. So but anyway, yeah. So there's stuff happening. You'll get to do some cool stuff, and you're here for two weekends, so we'll get a bunch of car stuff in. Yeah, that's what's going so, on. Yeah. Um, yeah, so see yeah. us both together this Saturday. So that'll be tomorrow once this episode comes out, right? Um, at 4 till 4 or at Pavs on Saturday night. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be there. As long as it's not raining, I guess. I think even if it's raining, we're still going. So All right, fair enough. I haven't I seen mean, rain here, in a long time. Screw it. I mean, it never rains here anyway. So people don't. People still go out in the rain because the weird thing about rain here in Phoenix is it can rain on one block and not the next. So it might be totally dry our entire route or it might be wet. Right, who knows? It could be pouring rain at the house and totally dry there. So I'll just bring some instant detailer and some rags and we'll just go to the show. So. All right. Don't cooler. care. Yep. We're going to enjoy it no matter what because you're not flying to Arizona sitting in the house all day. Yeah. So. All right. I think that's a podcast, Brad. Sounds like one to me. Yeah, come visit us on the Discord or message us. We'll send you a link. Uh, you can get to us on Instagram, Auto Off Topic Podcast. Sorry, Auto Off Topic. Auto Off Topic Podcast on Facebook. I am on Instagram, Race and Anger, and Twitter, Race and Anger. And Brad, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at TSISS350. They can also find us on Instagram at our Scale Autocast page. Um, we don't have any episodes. We do have lots of pictures going up. It's actually... Uh, I, I deemed it Toyota week because I had a bunch of Toyota diecast pictures that I've been posting. Um, actually, as soon as I'm done recording here, I'm going to post Thursday's car. And then next week, maybe I'll do a different theme. I don't know. But I've been trying to actively post there every day and kind of build our following. Uh, it seems to be getting a little bit more traction when I do that. So hopefully we can get, get going there. Unfortunately, Instagram had that you know month's worth of time where they were promoting reels only and everything else got buried. So... I wasn't posting for a while, but we're back. So, all right, cool. So, keep cars analog, throw a club on them, and aim for the roses. And that car's not analog, but I'll definitely throw a club on it. You should. <laughs>